0: If you have your copy of the Scriptures, I invite you to look with me this morning in the book of Hebrews. We're going to read the last few verses of chapter 4 and then the first uh, 10 verses of chapter 5. So if you would, you can turn there. Uh, and as you're doing that, just know and be reminded of that we're spending time in the book of Hebrews through about the second week of June, and we're thinking about this idea together, the power of an indestructible life. So you find that phrasing in chapter seven, verse 16. That's what is used to describe who Jesus is and what he's done. And so we're thinking about the power of an indestructible life. So have that in your mind as we're going through this book together. Listen to this, Hebrews chapter four, beginning in verse uh, 14. This is the word of God. You can bank your whole life on it. Listen to this. Since then we have a great high priest, Just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, I'll tell you that this idea of Melchizedek and who this is, it's mentioned twice here that we just read. I'm going to cover that in a couple of weeks because that's the start of a thread that's picked up in chapter seven and eight. And so we'll come back to that. So just because I don't mention Melchizedek again today, don't worry. God willing, we'll get to it in a couple weeks. Well, let's pray. Let's ask God to help us understand this passage. Lord, we thank you that we get to be in your presence. We thank you that we can come freely and that we can acknowledge before you that we haven't loved you as we should, we haven't loved our neighbors as we should, and we can confess all these things to you knowing that you are the God who pardons. And and the fact that we can come to you freely and want to confess is because your grace is working in our lives. So Lord, we ask that that would continue, that you would help us not to come here because we're wanting to get um, five new steps on how to accomplish this or that but that you would be working into our hearts a deeper desire to be changed and transformed that we would understand that there actually is good news in the world and that you want us to hear it. So, Holy Spirit, lead us to Christ. Help us to see him afresh. Help us to see him in fresh ways today. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would convince us that that all these things that we're going to talk about here in the Word are true. Change us. We need it. We pray this um, with hope. We pray it with uh, confidence. We pray with expectation because we know you answer prayer. So we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I arrived at a speaking engagement a number of years ago. I arrived several minutes early and I was standing in the hallway before the uh, engagement was about to start. And of course I was nervous and I looked and across from me in the hall, the same hall I was standing in, the hallway, on the other side of the hallway was this gigantic dude. And he had on this black leather jacket. And on the back of his jacket it said Florida State. And I thought to myself, hmm, I'm really nervous. Maybe I can start a conversation with, with this guy and see where it goes. So I said, hey, do you like Florida State? And he was flipping on his phone and he kind of looked up a little bit and was like, yeah. And I said, all right, well, um, do, you, do you like football team? What, what, what? Yeah. All right, the baseball team? I like it all. I was like, great, great. And then he turned and he said to me, who's your team? And I said, Tennessee. And at that point, He completely turned around and squared up to me, and he said, oh, that's how this is going to (laughs) be? It was at that moment that I recognized that there was a large patch on the front of his black leather jacket that said Florida State across the back of it, and in that patch it said Tostitos National Championship Game. And for those of you that don't know, that was the game that Tennessee beat Florida State for the national championship. I didn't know that he started on the football team. I didn't know that he played at Florida State. I didn't know that he had just finished his several year NFL career. All I knew is that he was this large man. And in that moment I was completely exposed. Now he took it in a way that I didn't mean it, but There was no way I was going to get out of it, and I was just completely, I knew from his vantage point, I had just talked trash to him. That's not what I intended, but that's how he understood it, and there was no way I could get around it, so I just had to sit there. I just had to sit in it. I just had to embrace it. I just had to absorb how he understood what I said. Now, last week, when we looked at the end of chapter 4, we learned together that the Word of God exposes our hearts, right? Do you remember this? The Word of God is active and living. It actually comes into our lives and cuts us to expose our thoughts and our intentions. Remember? The Word of God says that explicitly in verse 12 and 13 of chapter 4. So the Word of God is active. It comes into us and exposes all that we are. Now, have you ever thought about this? In other words, if you're willing to laugh at my exposure, and you should, I hope that you also are willing to understand That we all need the inside of us to be exposed for what it is. And if you're willing to think about that, then go with me another step. The Word of God opens us up. But have you ever thought about the Word made flesh? You know who that is? Jesus. He's the Word made flesh. Have you ever thought about how he, Jesus, exposes our hearts and our lives for who we really are in contrast to who he really is? In other words, it's one thing to study the Bible or look at the gospel accounts and to look at Jesus' teaching and think about his teaching. It's something different to think about how Jesus lived and how we interacted and what he said in specific moments and how he responded to things and events and people and situations. And let me tell you, if you think about Jesus' life in that way, really, it really exposes our hearts. Let me give you some examples quickly. Do you remember the day that Jesus was on the cross? The day that was intense with agony. The day that he was crucified. And do you remember as he was being crucified, he looked to the thief beside him and said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Remember that? In the moment of his crucifixion and greatest agony, he understood what was being accomplished, that because of his death that day, that man was going to go to be with God. I have problems in the moment understanding that suffering can be redemptive. Do you remember when Jesus was in the garden? He was there praying before he went to the cross. And do you remember that he came out a couple times from being in the garden and found his closest companions sleeping? In a moment of need, he was coming out to talk with his closest friends. He had needs, and his friends could not help him because they were sleeping. Remember this? And Jesus says these words, the flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing. How compassionate and tender that is. In my life, when I have needs, and my closest friends are rightfully fatigued or worn out or unavailable. Not quite sure I'm happy about that and would say the same thing Jesus did. How about you? Here's another example. There was a time when Jesus sent out uh, his disciples and they came back and they were talking about everything that they had accomplished. They were talking about W's and L's. They were talking about they were winning in this way, and and the bad guys were losing in this way. And they were just all excited about all these victories and things that they were doing and things that they had accomplished. And you know what Jesus said? Are you rejoicing that your names are written in heaven? really exposes us, at least me. Love to talk about wins. Love to talk about my accomplishments. Love to talk about where things are going on that I may not like and they're failing. Love to talk about all that. Jesus says, are you rejoicing that your name is written in heaven? Exposes us. For the kinds of people that we are, self absorbed, want to focus on our accomplishments all the time, and we live with this assumption that I really deserve an easy life. I don't deserve suffering. Maybe if I live good enough, I I won't have to go through it. Really exposes our hearts, He really exposes our hearts. Leads me to this question, what do you do when you get exposed? What do you do when you hear that about Jesus and how he lived and what he said and what he did? Maybe you realize you're not the same as Jesus. Well, what do you do when you get exposed? Here are some options. You deflect, try to defend yourself, ignore it. When you really get exposed, here's another option that we often take. We just want to escape. You can do that in all kinds of ways. You can go to alcohol, you can go to other things. Just want to escape. What do you do when you get exposed, when your heart gets exposed? Well, this morning, I want to show you that you have another option. This passage is teaching us that exposure is the place Jesus meets us. That's the point. If you want to know, what in the world are we talking about today, that's it. Exposure is the place where Jesus meets us. Got it? And I want to show you three ways that he meets us from this passage in Hebrews, so that Maybe you've already felt a sense of your heart being exposed this morning. And if your immediate response to that was, I don't want to talk about that. I want to bring that back up and say, just meet Jesus there. Help me meet Jesus there. Help your friends meet Jesus there. want your friends to help you meet Jesus when you get exposed. Don't try to deflect. Don't try to rationalize, defend Don't run away. Don't escape. Realize that is the very place where Jesus meets you. Here's the first point. Jesus couldn't be more like us. Look at verse 15. It says that Jesus was in every way like us. He was in every way tempted as we are. Do you see that? In every way, he was tempted as we are. Jesus was legitimately, genuinely tempted. He felt the pull of temptation. He felt the tug of temptation. He was truly, genuinely tempted. The first one was when he was in the wilderness, And the first temptation was, change this stone to bread. In other words, the temptation was, use all of your skills for yourself. Serve yourself. Everything that you have, use it for yourself. The second temptation was to jump off the temple. Test God. Test what God says. In other words, don't trust anything that God says. In other words, make sure that everyone in your life is always on probation. Don't ever entrust yourself to anyone. Don't put yourself out there. Don't live by what God says. Don't follow what he says. Don't trust what he says. Be self-absorbed. You ever face either of those temptations? Use all your skills for yourself. Everything you got, serve yourself. Don't think about anybody else. Matter of fact, make sure everybody else stays on probation so you can end it whenever you need. The second that someone isn't serving you in the way that you want, they're on probation. Just get rid, just get rid. Just keep marching on. Be self-absorbed. Here's the third temptation of Jesus. Jesus, Satan says to him, if you just, bow down, just one, just maybe a couple little bending of the muscles, just, just bow down and I'll give you all the kingdoms. Here's the temptation. Jesus, you really don't need to go to the cross. Jesus, you deserve a bloodless path to glory. You see, the assumption is this, you deserve a good life. You deserve an easy life. You deserve comfort. Suffering and hardship in in your life? No, that's not what you deserve. Avoid that. If you're just good enough, sometimes we think if I'm just good enough, I won't have to go through that. Sometimes Christianity is even presented that way. And if that's the way it's been presented to you, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Because I know the type of havoc that that wreaks on your life to be told that if you just do the right thing that you can avoid suffering and that God's really about just your comfort. I'm so sorry if you've heard that. Beloved, if, that, if you've heard that, just that wasn't even Jesus' experience. And he has lived a far more perfect life than you and I ever have. And he had the most profound suffering. Do you feel like you're ever tempted to want a bloodless path to glory? I want to be a good parent, but man, I don't want the sleepless nights and and to look like I'm getting older. I want a great marriage, but I don't know that I really want to grow in my emotional health. I don't really know that I want to grow in how to communicate, figure out how to listen better. I want a good career, a good job that pays really well. Not, not sure I want to put all the time in for years and years until that's a possible possibility. I want it now. Now I really would like to be a better tennis player, but sitting on the couch is kind of comfortable. It's hard to work at. It's frustrating. It's disappointing. It hurts. Anybody ever want to blow this path to glory? I want to be a really good friend, and I want to have good friends. But I don't want to be inconvenienced. I want my schedule, my time. You see how exposed we get? Jesus couldn't be more like us. He was tempted in every way that you are, every way that I am. And this is why the text tells you that he can sympathize with us. Did you see that in verse 15 of chapter four? He can sympathize with us. Beloved, he will never forget what it means to be a human being. Right now he knows what it means to be a human being. Right now he knows what it means to be be tempted. Right now, he understands what it means to live in a fallen world, a broken world. He knows it from the inside, he experienced it. Here's the second thing Jesus couldn't be more unlike us. Look at what it says in verse 15. He was tempted in every way that we are. Notice this next phrase yet without sin. He couldn't be more unlike us. You see, we feel the pull of temptation from the inside. And because we're bent toward self-absorption, temptation doesn't have to work very hard for us. We're just naturally bent that way, right? You remember this, right? You know this, right? Anybody ever have to teach you to lie? Covet things from other people? Uh, Anybody have to to teach you how to lust for someone else? Anybody ever have to teach you um, how to steal? We're bent toward self. Jesus felt the weight of temptation from a pure person perspective. And he never gave in. That little phrase, yet without sin, is not just making a theological statement in ink and just uh, no, it is life. That is a declaration of victory. That where we fail and have failed, Jesus did not. The fact that it says that he was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin, is saying victory. He was victorious where we so often fail. He never failed. He was without sin. Friends, he couldn't be more unlike us. And that leads us to the third point. Jesus couldn't be more committed to you. He couldn't be more committed to us. He couldn't be more committed to Dave. He couldn't be more committed to you. In those moments, when your heart gets exposed, Jesus meets you there, right there. And he says, I know what it's like to be tempted. I couldn't be more like you. And in those moments, he says, I know what it's like to be tempted. And I couldn't be more unlike you. I'm your victory. And now he's telling us that he couldn't be more committed to us. When you open up chapter five, what you see is that this function of Jesus is not something that was self-appointed. Chapter five opens up in the first four verses talking about the function of priest in the Old Testament. Verse one tells you that this is what a priest does. He represents people to God. And Aaron did not... Appoint himself. God called him to that work. First four verses are telling you that. He didn't self-appoint. And then the shift is made in verse five and six to tell you that Jesus also was called to this function. Jesus did not self-appoint. He didn't say, I'm gonna go do this. He had a call on his life. The Father had a mission for Jesus, and Jesus was willing to do that. There was a calling upon the heart of Jesus. That's why God says, in quoting Psalm 2 and Psalm 110, remember, I have called my son to this function. I have called Jesus to go and do this. He's on mission from me. And then, in verses seven through 10, God takes us right into a place that we can see the calling of Jesus in his life. So if you're willing, and I realize this can be a challenge, but I'm gonna throw this challenge out there to you. If you're willing to slow down with me and look at verse seven through 10, I want you to understand that we're seeing the call that Jesus has on his life in action. It's real, it's in real slow motion. I'm gonna do the best I can, hang in there with me. But I hope that this might have a pretty deep effect in your life. It has in mine. The author takes us to a place in Jesus' life that we've already been to today a place when he was in the garden. Before Jesus suffered, he went to the garden with some of his closest friends. You remember this? This is review. And he went in the garden to pray to his father. And the gospel accounts tells us that he fell down when he went into the garden. Like, the agony was so intense that it was like he sweat like drops of blood. The weight of his understanding of what he was about to do was really getting to him. It was weighing on him. He was in genuine, legitimate agony. Have you been in agony? He couldn't be more like you. And in the garden, he prayed And he asked God to let this cup pass. In the garden, he said, Lord, is there another way? And what verse 7 tells us is a little more details than we heard before from the gospel accounts. Verse 7 tells you that Jesus cried out with tears. Do you feel that? Jesus was understanding what it was going to mean for him to go to the cross. His understanding was growing, it was increasing, and it was at this point in his life, in this moment, in which he was literally crying out to God, shedding tears, understanding what it would mean to go to the cross. To understand that in not too many hours from that moment, he was going to be treated as sin. He was going to be treated as the sin bearer, the one who would take on the sins of his people. And he was feeling the weight of what that would mean. Because he was going to do it for people like you and me and he cried out to his Father. And in that moment, what we are seeing and what we understand is that Jesus was totally submitting to his Father. Total submission. Look at what the text says in verse seven here, of Hebrews five, it's not just that he cried out with tears. It's that he knew that his father could save him and rescue him. See that? That gives you insight on what's going on in his mind. Jesus knew that the father could save him and rescue him. Lord, is there another way? I know that you can do this. I know that you could have some other way, but he was committing himself completely, 100%, submitting to his father. And you know what happened as a result of that? Because of Jesus' total submission, the Father strengthened him. When you read Luke's account of this very situation, it says that God sent angels to strengthen Jesus. Can you imagine what that would have been like in heaven? The Father seeing what was going on, hearing the cries of his son, the angels walk, watching what is going on, as this interaction is taking place, and the father says, it's time to go strengthen my son. Can you imagine the angels like, I'll go, I'll go. I, I wanna go strengthen Jesus. Can I have that job? And the angels come and strengthen Christ. And you know what happens from there? When you look at Matthew's account, this is what Jesus says. Rise, let's go. Jesus had gone from being in agony to leaving the garden with his friends saying, come on, we gotta go. It's time to go. This sense of resoluteness and determination, dare I say it, love. Affection, excitement in going to do something that would redeem and change the world. Jesus submitted himself to the Father, and the Father strengthens him, and Jesus exudes that strength with, Rise, let's get going. I guess this is why in John 17, one of the most amazing prayers that we have ever been written. Jesus starts off the prayer to his Father saying, Lord, glorify me so that I may glorify you. This relationship between the Father and the Son, so, so tight. This relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, so strong. Jesus was resolute in going to the cross. That's why the next phrases are there about how he learned obedience and was made perfect. It's showing you what happened in that moment in the garden. That Jesus throughout his whole life was growing in his understanding of what it meant to be on mission for his father. What it meant for him to represent people to God. To be the sin bearer. To be tempted as we are, yet without sin, his whole life, he was learning and growing in what that meant by what he was doing every day. Such that it can say that he was even made perfect. He wasn't moving from imperfection to perfection. Perfection in terms of in meaning fully grown, maturing, ripening, So that your Savior was growing. Your Savior was learning. Your Savior was becoming a full-grown redeemer. That's what it means when those words are used in verse 8 and 9. See, Jesus couldn't be more committed to us. Jesus was willing to follow the Father's will no matter what. He didn't cling tightly to his existence with the Father, but he humbled himself and laid his life down. Jesus chose the bloody path to glory. So that, so that, his accomplishments would define all of mine and yours. Self-forgetfulness would be more attractive to me and to you than self-absorption. Jesus did all of this so that my suffering would be the place in which I get to go deeper with my savior and being redeemed. Did you notice in verse 14 of chapter 4 where it says that we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens? Do you notice that? You see, when Jesus died and rose again and ascended back to the Father, he wasn't like the priest of the Old Testament that got to go into the Holy of Holies one time a year. Jesus got to go to the throne in which he would plead his own blood for you and for me. And it's not that he has to plead it all the time because the Father is unwilling to accept it. Sometimes that's how my mind gets all twisted. Jesus passed through the heavens to the throne because that's where the Father and the Spirit and Jesus himself are rejoicing and reveling in all that they have accomplished. And friends, that's what brings us to the table.